So I always tell people when you're nearing the part of things that cause you the heartburn, social media for me, where it's like every time it came up, I'm like, ah, here we go. You want me to post stuff, you know, or the thing that I'm like, I just spent eight hours automating a complete recruiting process and click up. It was nice, but was it the best use of my eight hours? Probably not. Um, so I look at those two areas, you know, or even a blend of those areas when people get to those points, then I'd say it's, start, it's time to start bringing in somebody or whether it's a small team, it could just be one great person that takes off something to where they're effective in their role for you, but you can focus on doing the thing, whatever your magic is, you can focus on that. You are now tuned in to the Mom CEO Suite podcast. I'm your host, Felicia, wife, mom, and entrepreneur. In this podcast, I'll be sharing my mompreneur journey along with strategies that will help you build your online business operations in a sustainable way. The goal is to help you build a business that fits into your lifestyle as a mom who values putting family first. We will also hear the experiences and expertise of other moms with service-based businesses. You'll get a peek into our journeys so you'll know that you aren't alone. Motherhood gets hard. Entrepreneurship gets hard. But together, we can do hard things. Welcome to the suite. friends, welcome to another episode. Thank you for joining us. So today we're going to be talking about how to build an effective team. You know, here on the podcast, we want to give you all of the information and the resources that you need to build your online business sustainably. And having a team is a part of that. And we have a special guest with us today. Tanisha Stallnaker is the owner of SVS, which is an operational systems agency that provides both strategy and implementation support to solopreneurs and small enterprise companies. Um, Tanisha herself, she's a systems expert, an automation specialist, and a business operations consultant. So Tanisha, welcome to the suite. How are you? Thank you so much. I'm good. So tell us a little bit more just about yourself and about your business as well. Uh, absolutely. So I will start with myself. So yes, I'm an agency owner and business owner outside of business life. I um, have a 28-year-old daughter. I have a 13-year-old bonus daughter who I also homeschool. So that adds some extra fun into the day. And she's with me most of the pretty much all week. Uh, she's also a year-round swimmer. So a lot of evenings spent at pools, swim meets, swim practices. I'm a mentor in a couple of mentorship programs, and I also work in a few business accelerated as a business mentor also. And in the little bit of free time that I have outside of all of that, um, I also am a dog mom, a guinea pig mom, and a horror movie junkie. Um, Business-wise, uh, um, my agency is made of an amazing team of all women that are all over the world, half of the team are in the United States. Some are in Canada. We have some in Pakistan, South Africa, Kenya. Um, most of them have been with us um, and with me for a few years. Um, I absolutely think that that team that I have is probably the biggest accomplishment in my business. Not to say we haven't done great things for our client, but the team is the thing that makes me just really excited. Even when things are stressful and business starts to you know, when life starts to life, you know, I really lean on the team and so I really appreciate them. Um, but, you know, as you said, we do work with um, 
higher level solopreneurs and small enterprise firms. We also have some great partnerships with marketing agencies as well, since we're kind of two sides of you know the same coin. And so there's some complimentary things that we do there with them. Y'all know I love all things systems, so I'm going to enjoy this conversation. <laughs> um, but before we hop into, you know, the systems and building a team, you mentioned homeschooling, right? How have you been able to manage doing homeschooling and running an agency? Like what's been working for you now? So I think the thing that works, that helps is that when we started homeschooling a few years ago, she was already at least like around fifth grade. And so she had the maturity to be able to kind of not self-direct, but it wasn't like homeschooling a kindergartner where I'm having to sit there with them or a second or third grader where I'm having to sit there and read the instructions. So there's definitely a, a gift to starting a little later in the process to where, um, you know, I can get my work done and she can get some support when she needs it. I think the other thing is that because I'd worked from home for so many years, we'd already kind of had a, a flow going even when she was in school to where she knew to come home. She had her place that she does her work. So that habit had already been built as well. And then the other part is just using technology where it makes sense and kind of blending online programs with group programs where she still gets interaction. Um, you know, I've had people question, you know, oh, what about socializing? I was like, well, she's in the water for two and a half to three hours a day with a bunch of other kids. And the benefit is some of them are homeschooled. Some of them will go to public school. Some of them will go to private school. So it's almost more exposure to different types of kids that she would get if she just went to a traditional public school. Um, so over the years, each year, we kind of reevaluate what we liked and what we didn't like from the previous year. So we might tweak some things. We might change some things. We might change or add some more interactive programs throughout the day. Um, I think if anything, as she's gotten older and the business has grown, we have to be super intentional in finding more time to do the let's get away from our computer stuff school. So each year we have to kind of recalibrate how we're doing it. That makes so much sense. And you know, the piece about having the flow, I know that's so effective in so many different areas of life. I know for me, having that, my daughter, she's only two, but having that flow and routine and kind of sticking to that, like she already knows it. When it's bedtime, she'll just start gathering, <laughs> gathering her stuff, cutting on her sandwich machine, like she'll do it herself. So I think that flow really helped. Um, and even in business as well, I think a lot of what you said translates into business, yep. like the piece about, you know, every year reevaluating. And so let's just go ahead and start talking about this, this team piece and the operation. So how does somebody know when it's time to start building a team? Um, well, if I go by what I did and then I also look at like our clients when we start to talk to them. You know, there's a point where like when we first start, we're kind of doing all the things. We're the we're the accountant, we're our own admin person, we're our social media person, we're we're all of those things. And for some people, they're successfully able to be all the people. For me and even for some of our clients, what we find is that there are some things that we're just not good at. <laughs> and I always tell people there's a beginning of the business, of course, where you might not have enough money to pay someone, but you know, it's not nearly as cumbersome and it doesn't always have to be as pricey as people make it out to be. Like when I first started, I think I had a budget of five hours a month and I was like, I'm not going to bring somebody in paying them $6 an hour or something crazy. So I was like, I just need to be able to comfortably pay somebody to start with 20 bucks. And I was like, how many hours could I afford per month at that point? 
and find somebody to take the things that I absolutely need to do, but don't do well. And for me, initially, it was social media. Um, And even if it wasn't necessarily some massive strategy, just posting things, because that's the area that I'm probably going to forget about fastest. And so finding somebody to take those things. Um, The next person was somebody to take the ideas that I had and find a way to automate them. Not because I couldn't do it myself, but I was starting to get to a point where I was spending more time in my business, diving down the rabbit hole of how many different zaps can I come up with in a weekend or how many different ways can I change ClickUp and how many different ways can I do these things? And to me, I was having a ball. My husband was like, what is wrong with you? Like, you just spent the entire Saturday doing this. And I had a great time doing it, but Mouse made no money doing it because it wasn't something that I was going to, it wasn't growing my business. It was helping me behind the scenes and I was playing in it. Um, And so, yes, I got some knowledge that I could use for clients, but it wasn't directly something that was growing my business or bringing in money. So then I started to look at, all right, well, now I need to find a team member that can still help me do those things that help clean up the business without me taking the time to do it. Because it was at a point where I was spending so much time in the business, it was actually costing me business and I was losing money. So I always tell people when you're nearing the part of things that cause you the heartburn, social media for me, where like every time it came up, I'm like, ah, here we go. You want me to post stuff, you know? Or the thing that I'm like, I just spent eight hours automating a complete recruiting process and click up. It was nice, but was it the best use of my eight hours? Probably not. Um, so I look at those two areas, you know, or even a blend of those areas when people get to those points, then I'd say it's, start, it's time to start bringing in somebody or whether it's a small team, it could just be one great person that takes off something to where they're effective in their role for you, but you can focus on doing the thing, whatever your magic is, you can focus on that. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned both sides, like the thing that gives you heartburn, but also it can be that thing that you love doing. Like, you know, I totally resonated with the creating all the zips and doing all the things, but just because you know how to do it and you love to do it, if it's not really adding to your bottom line, then maybe you don't need to be doing it. Or if it's not the best use of your time, you know, in that season, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. But we get caught up because it's like, oh, I know how to do this. I'm good at this. I actually like doing this part of the business. But are you really wasting time? So I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm guilty of that too. Like, oh goodness, I will stay in Zap and click up all day, but it's not the best use of my time. It's funny, I found kind of the midline for it when I do um, my audits with clients because, you know, I'm going to open Zapier during that towards the end of it just to kind of see what, if I'm not familiar with it already. But at least then I'm getting paid to play in Zapier and they're on, you know, I'm on camera with them. They get to see it. They can also see that I know what I'm talking about. So I found a way to make it work (laughs) to where I still get to play in it. But at least I found a way to also get paid for it, though. Yes. Find a way to make it work and get paid for it. I love that. Now, what's your thoughts on having things in place before you hire a team? You know, some people say you should have some SOPs before you hire a team. Some people say hire the team to do your SOPs or what's your what's your thoughts on this? Do you think we should have certain things in place before we hire a team? I think there should be some foundation before you hire a team. And I can say that as somebody who did not 
when I brought my team on. Like, thankfully, people have a good sense of humor, including myself, because I can literally tell you one of my, the first two to three people I hire for the longest time, they laughed at me when I started to bring on other team members and saw that there was now a process because they were like, well, at least you guys got a process because like one of the people that I talked to, I remember I did the interview and everything and she was like, what can I help you with? And I literally, my answer was, I don't know. I just, I like you though. What, what do you think you can do? And it worked and she was with me for a few years, but it definitely wasn't the best way to go about it because there was some time wasted in those first few hires where it was like crickets for a little bit trying to figure out like, what do you need? And I'm like, I don't know. What do you want to do? And it's like, I don't know. What do you want me to do? It was a lot of that. And, you know, which it ended up working, but I've, you know, we've had clients that have hired people and then they have like a whole team of people. And I use the word team lightly because they might have five different freelancers that they've hired to do five different things. They're all separate in their own little vacuum. They don't communicate with each other. And then the client wonders why they're like burning through people and it's not working, but they didn't have a clear course of action of who was doing what, who owned what, do they even own it? Um, And so I think there's a balance of a little bit of both, meaning you should understand what your client journey is before you bring on a team, because how are you going to explain it to them if you don't know what it is? I think there are some, the must-haves in your business should already be processes. And it doesn't have to be some formal corporate template or an SOP. It could be a Loom video. Most of our SOPs for me are Looms because that's how I communicate most effectively. I can literally talk through it, show you how I want it done. And I don't have many must-haves for my team, but the few that I have, it's me explaining it, walking through it. This is how I want it done every time without fail, no exception, you know, but at least there's no, there's no confusion now. There's no misinterpretation. So I think that there should be some foundational things, especially as it relates to the business owner's core values and what they see as must-haves for their business. Those things should be ironed out before you bring on the first team member, because otherwise you run the risk of bringing somebody in who might not have even intentionally done it, but they're now taking you away from your core values because they didn't have any guidance of what direction to go in. Um, At the same time, I do think once you have at least foundational things in, yeah, it's completely smart to have somebody come in and just do your processes for you. Um, Somebody who has that mindset, because again, past those foundational things, it isn't the best use of your time sitting and creating SOPs when you could hire somebody to do that for you. Um, It gives you a great chance to see how they work, how their brains work. And then once that's kind of done, where they might be able to benefit you and your business elsewhere. I'm not even going to start talking about SOPs because we'll be here all day. I love SOPs. But anyway, I like processes. I don't like SOPs, which is another really? reason why I do like because I'm like, I think the first few I was trying to write out, I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> so boring. This isn't exciting at all. And when I was like, wait, I can loom it. <laughs> I saw I did have somebody on the team. I was like, now, if you want to take this loom and transcribe it and write it up, you have at it. But at least I've given you what you need to put it in whatever, you know, method you need to put it in. Yeah. I mean, I totally advocate for video and written, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother episode. Um, you started talking about how you worked with a team in quotes, but people were kind of in silos and they didn't really have direction. So talk to us about what an effective team looks like, because you can't just hire a bunch of people 
and call it a team, but it's really not a team. What does an effective team look like? So in my world, an effective team, and the reason I say it this way is because if you talk to Tasha Booth or anybody, there was a certain period where when you mentioned the word team or agency or any of that, like my skin crawled. It was like, oh, no, I don't want that. I don't want that at all. Oh, I'm not going to have an agency. Oh, no, I don't want an agency. And I mean, I still laugh at myself for all of the time that I spent saying anti-agency to then turn around. and. But I think what I was really going with is I thought back to when I worked for agencies myself, when I was a recruiter for years, there was just a feel to it that I didn't like and it gave me kind of an ick feel. So I associated it and tied that ick feel to the word. Or, you know, so team felt better, even though it's still an agency. But I think for me, what was really important, and it's something that I drive home even with clients, even when they don't ask. But, you know, it's just more effective to have that open communication to where the people that are in your business know that there's other people in your business. You might have hired somebody to do a thing. And in general, they're good at it. But somebody else might have some insight that elevates that even more. But if they don't know that the other person exists, then you're missing an opportunity. Um, the other thing that I think is uh, brings an effective team is having some type of standing meeting where all of you are together. And there's a half of that where you're talking about business, but there's other parts where you're just having conversation and building those relationships because being an online business can be extremely isolating. And we're all going to have ebbs and flows in our individual businesses, as well as the collective, like when we're part of someone else's business. And that can affect things positively or negatively. You know, I just find that I want to know what's going on in my team members' business as much as it makes sense for, for me to know. But if their business isn't going well, it's going to affect mine because they're going to come into my world stressed and overwhelmed and burnout. And so part of an effective team is giving them an outlet to talk through some of that with each other and really just as a human check in. <laughs> because if we can give each other that support, then not only is it helping my business, but it's also helping them when they walk into their own clients and things like that. Um, so that's one part. I think the other part is just me not getting so deep into the CEO mindset that I distance myself completely from my team. And I want them to know that, yes, we have a project manager and yes, we have like a primary go-to operation person for technical stuff if they run into challenges, but I'm still here. You know, um, I give them the, the autonomy to come to me if they need something to talk through something to give ideas. If you think that there's a better way for us to do stuff, you know, share it, <laughs> you know, but I think all of that is really helped to make sure that not only is it an effective team in the sense of how they take care of clients, but many of my team members work together with clients. There's most of our clients have at least two team members, sometimes three. And so we needed to make sure that there was a good ecosystem for them to know how to not step on each other's toes in front of a client to know which parts they need to own because that's their superpower versus somebody else's superpower on that project. But also just to have really effective communication with our clients so that the clients don't feel overwhelmed by having two to three brand new faces in their face <laughs> for a project. You know, it's taken some work and there's been some bumps, but I think that the sign that this has been a very effective plan is the fact that a lot of my team have been with me for years. And in this freelancer world where they could jump ship at any point and go to 
five other agencies at any point that they choose and they choose to stay, says a lot. It definitely does say a lot. I remember working in, um, it wasn't corporate, but the nonprofit space. I mean, it was a larger team, but there was a lot of turnover and a lot of it was due to some of the things you mentioned. The human element was missing. And I know that's missing in a lot of, you know, non-entrepreneurial spaces where everything is about the business. It's about the bottom line. It's about getting the task done and you don't focus on the person or what's going on in their world. And sometimes when people come from that world, it comes with them into the entrepreneurial space. So I'm glad that you mentioned that, like, yes, we have businesses, but we're still, we're humans. We have other things going on. We're moms, we're married or whatever. We might be single and divorced, but there's other things happening in life that does impact the business. Now, before you had a team versus having a team now, how was that experience for you in business? The only thing that people say that was potentially better before having a team, and I am saying it in a very just frank way, was, you know, overhead costs were much lower pre-team. That's just the fact of it. Anything that I did or didn't make, there was only one human affected and that was me, potentially my family. But, you know, so there is a a bit of um, responsibility that you don't have over your head when you're completely on your own. And sometimes that's great. But then that also means that then you have to find some some other way to combat the potential isolation of having all of the responsibility also be on your shoulders. So it's it's a catch-22. And I think agency is definitely not for everybody. Um, but when I look at, you know, I've, I've talked to some people that came through the agency program that I did with um, Tasha Booth, and some of them have gone back to working by themselves. And they're like, nope, wasn't worth it. Um, I think of all the challenges that I've had in my business while having the beginning, the first year of the team definitely does not look like it looks now, even though some of them are still around, how we work with each other and how we communicate. A lot of things have been, you know, tweaked and changed. But even with that year being such a hard year of lessons in growing a team, um, I don't know that I would trade how it's set up to go back to completely being by myself, even with having payroll and having to factor that in, like when I get a client that, you know, for whatever reason, their payment doesn't go through. There is so much more in the back of my mind to carry when I have a team of no matter what happens, these women have to get paid. But I'd still take that over bearing all of it by myself. Yeah. And it's different for different people. Like you mentioned, the other person says, not for me. And for you, you're like, a solo life is not for me. So... That's the beauty of entrepreneurship, though. You get to, to craft it and do what works for you. So for that person who is like, OK, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to hire a team. And they start the hiring process. What are some red flags that you've seen, you know, when you're doing hiring? Um, just of applicants when they come through, what are some of those red flags where you're like, no, I shouldn't hire them? Or have you had experiences where you did hire somebody and then you thought back to the interview and you're like, that was a red flag and I should not have hired them? Yes. Um, (laughs) Thankfully, not as much as it probably could be, but this is where hiring a team is where my recruiting background definitely came in clutch because I'm pretty good at reading people. Um, 
I'm also pretty good at knowing I'm self-aware of my quirks, my pluses and minuses as well. So it's not just hiring for the skill. It's also hiring for how I'm going to interact with this person, how this person's going to interact with the team. I tend to only really hire twice a year and I'm super, super protective. I would almost take somebody who comes in the door with none of the skills, but the ability to learn quickly, but they have the personality that is going to mesh well with me and the team and not disrupt the whole culture that we've built. Then having somebody who has all of the skills, but their personality is that of a piece of cardboard and they're not reliable and there's chasing and babysitting and all of that stuff. It's more work in that direction. Um, so for my interview process, and I, it's funny because minus that first group that definitely got the rough draft of hiring with me, um, my process is there is an application for them to fill out. I'm really good at reviewing applications. So there's some things that I'm looking for there. So in the application stage, one red flag is undervaluing yourself. At the same time, there's a fine line of overvaluing. And I don't mean it because you're not worth it, but there's a subcontractor rate of things. Um, I've had some people that like come and they're from other countries. They're like $6 an hour is what I'm looking for. I'm going to skip past that application every time because I don't want the person who came in the door with the idea that I'm going to demean them because they came from another country. At the same time, the person that wants $75 an hour because they know HoneyBook, probably also red flag. And so it's, it's a fine line there. But I'm also looking at, did you even read the application? You know, when you filled out all of these technical systems and then you slapped on a proposal or portfolio and I open it and all I see is social media posts. Well, there's already kind of a disconnect there and I'm, it's a little bit of a flag. The next stage, if they get through that, then I, enter, then I have a video interview process set up where I've recorded myself asking questions. They record themselves answering the question. There is a bit of a catch where they could just do the audio. If they do audio only, I move on because all of my people are client facing. So if you can't get on camera just to talk to me, then I'm not going to trust that you're going to do well on camera when it's time to talk to a client. Um, I don't need people to put on lashes and get a full beat. Just show up as you are because that's what's real. Um, the other part is if what you said in that video completely goes against what you just said in the application, you know, but I'm pretty good, like I said, about reading personality. Um, there are some people who come through because they just know the technology, but the personality is like wet blanket. And then there's some that I've hired that had amazing personality and not a lick of skill in any of the platforms that we use. But I just, something told me that they could figure it out with a little bit of support. And by, I tend to hire a balance of both. Normally, the third step is talking to me. By that point, I've almost probably decided on whether or not I want to hire you. And it's yours to throw away by getting on a call with me. Um, the only way that it tends to happen is if when I ask now more specific things, you know, because I have in the application, are you proficient in these things? And then I ask a very specific question about a platform and then I get the crickets of, uh, yeah, I've done it before. But they can't give me any real specifics. They can't give me any real inkling. Or what they said was proficient was, yeah, I had a client who had it and I went in there before. So for me, those are the flags that tend to knock people out. I would say 10% of the time somebody might slide through and within a couple of months, I'm like, no, this wasn't good. This wasn't a fit. Thankfully, it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen every so often that and it's not nearly because they didn't know what they were doing. It's normally just 
the personality fit with the team. You know, it wasn't something that was a fit for them or for us, or they didn't present to the clients well. And then we have to make a decision from there. I'm glad you mentioned the personality piece because it's not just all about the skill, like, oh, can you operate the Psado and can you create a workflow? Like, what is your personality? Are you going to mesh well with the culture mm-hmm. of the organization? I remember when I, I did hire for one of my clients a while ago and I knew the client and his personality and the culture of his business. And this one particular woman, she looked great on paper. Um, but then when I talked to her, her personality just would not mesh well. She was very rigid. She wasn't flexible. And I could tell she was stuck in her ways. Mm-hmm. So it was not going to work out. So it's never, well, I won't say never, but it's not always about just the skill. Like that personality piece is so important. My team is client facing and I'm not on all the calls. So I need to see personality sooner than later. Because you are literally about to represent my business and you are either going to make or break it. And, you know, while I've had, I can say there is three times where something a team member did or didn't do cost us a client. Now, that's three times too many. But when I look at it in the over the course of nearly going into five years, is it the worst? No, but each time I really had to kind of you know, reevaluate, like, where could I have made a different decision? Where could we have created a process to negate this happening? You know, each time those things happen, I look at it and then I bring the team in to kind of talk through it collectively. Like, like, okay, so here's what happened. What can we do to avoid this going forward? And I want to bring them in because I want to make sure that they, they bought into it as well and that we are all on the same page and taking it seriously to avoid that mishap from happening. Oh, that's really good. Man, we could keep this conversation going and go like there's so much to talk about when building a team. But the last thing I want to ask you is I know you have a recruiting background and you said you were very self-aware or and also good at reading people. But for that business owner who, you know, might not have that background, this is their first time. They're literally just jumping into it. Do you have any advice for them going into it? And then also slash what are your thoughts about them getting somebody to do the hiring for them? I would say a lack of self-awareness is probably one of the biggest causes of turnover for business owners. And unfortunately, in many cases, because they're not self-aware, it's going to take them that longer to see that they're part of the reason that they're burning through people so quickly. Whether it's because they don't know how to communicate effectively, whether it's because they don't know how to delegate whether it's because they undervalue the support and don't pay people fairly or a combination of all the things. (laughs) You know, I always say just because you're great at your thing, whatever your special talent is, does not make you a great business owner. It does not make you a great leader. It doesn't make you a great person. You just are very talented in your thing. Um, So I would say taking the negative side of a lack of self-awareness out of it, give yourself some grace. And understand you may not hit a home run the first couple of times. But if you're finding that your first couple of hires aren't going well, before you rush to hiring the next one, stop and really look at what happened with the first two. Be honest with yourself. Like, could I have done this differently? 
you know, could I have communicated differently? Could I have been more clear in what I needed? And really look at that honestly with a clear lens. And then depending on the answer, you know, now it might be time to go ahead and bring somebody in to help that has that skill set. If you know up front that peopling is not your thing, just go ahead and hire somebody to do it because it'll be much cheaper to have somebody hire people where they don't have, they're not clouded by the, the, by the lack of self-awareness. I'm seeing you and I'm seeing the candidate and I can be the non-biased party that sees both of you and be able to say, okay, well, this kind of timid person is going to be eaten alive by this extremely direct client. Um, and having that balance of skill and personality, having somebody that has that lens that can see both sides, sometimes it's just easier to start there. But I get it, you know, with budgets and things like that. If you need to hire because you can't afford to bring in a third party, then at least give yourself that grace to understand that you might have to do some self-reflection from time to time if things aren't working. Oh, said, Oh, my goodness. Uh, Tanisha, you provided so much value here in this conversation. How can people connect with you if they want to learn more? So, of course, they can go to my website at stallnakervs.com. And then that way they can see any and all the things. They can book a call from there. But, of course, if they don't go there, you can catch me on any social channels. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Awesome. And all of that will be linked in the show description. You guys can tell just by the way Tanisha's talking that she is a great business owner and leader for her team. And so if you are needing some type of operational support, do not hesitate to reach out. Tanisha, thank you so much for joining us here today in the suite. And we will see you all in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Mom CEO Suite podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, can you do us a favor? Leave a review on iTunes and share with other moms in business like you. Help us spread our message and empower others who are at this intersection of motherhood and entrepreneurship.